BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Happy Friday, Freckled Foodie fam. Today we are joined by Joe Holder. He is a Nike master trainer, the founder of the Ocho System, Exercise Snacks, and System of Service, and a writer for GQ, along with many other things. I have been following him for honestly, I want to say like a few years now, and have always been really intrigued and interested by his content because I love a fitness instructor who does not apply a one-size-fits-all to everyone. And he just seems, and I mean, this interview shows, but from afar as a consumer, I've always felt like he really educates himself and loves information and loves to learn and then applies that when it comes to fitness. And it's very clear in this conversation that he does a lot of that. Um, This conversation dives into a ton of stuff on exercise and how, you know, working out and exercise shouldn't be that complicated, but also how you do have to do hard things and life isn't easy. And we get into a lot of our struggles with, you know, ending a college career of sports and just adjusting to the real world and what that is like for a former college athlete. And honestly, so many topics, a wide, wide, wide variety. I love this conversation and I hope you guys enjoy. Joe, thank you so much for joining Freckled Foodie and Friends. I'm very excited to chat with you because I feel like I personally have so many questions that I've always wanted (laughs) to ask you from afar, from following you on Instagram. Yeah, uh, thanks for reaching out. Pleasure to be here. I'm uh, glad to answer your question. (laughs) So for, I mean, I've been following you for a while now. And I've just always gotten, I can't explain it. I was, I was telling a friend that I was interviewing you and I was like, I don't know, I've been following him for so long and I just feel like he really knows his shit, but also is A, like there's no bullshit around your methodology and approach to fitness and wellness, but B, I feel like you really make an effort to learn and use like I don't know if science is the right word, but you're not just telling everyone to do the exact same thing. And I think from an outsider's perspective, it seems like you really care about the individual client and making sure that they're performing based on what they actually need and not just providing like a one, every, like one prescription fits everyone type of mentality. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's applicable. I think, you know, when and I've worked with people that have very specific goals, so I've seen the difference um, and why that's important, both as my background as an athlete, but also my background working with whatever models, high achievers, things like that. Like they have something they have to get ready for it. So you understand the nuances, but you also understand um, that there is, it's like an amoeba like structure, right? They're like, there is certain parameters that apply to everyone. And then you make them super specific for the context in which they're placed in. But it's hard for people to get that because one, it's like everybody wants to feel special, but then two, nobody wants to always put in the work that's necessary. And then three, everybody often has a very individualistic standpoint instead of understanding the context of the culture in which they existed. So uh, yeah, I mean, as an athlete, as somebody who uh, is empirical and, and sees science for what it is, which isn't something that's infallible, but something that just gets you hopefully closer to an applicable truth, but isn't the truth of the capital T, you then just realize that like 
you, you then just realize like the purpose of information is to apply it to create knowledge and then, but it is also contingent upon the person. So that's kind of how I approach it. It, it, it can work for everyone, but everybody doesn't necessarily have the, uh, have the wherewithal to, to put in the necessary effort to make it work. So I just really just focus on the individuals, whether I'm working with or those people that do follow me and want to put in the effort that's necessary to, to meet their health goals and try to make it as easy as possible. So you mentioned you've been an athlete your entire life. I know you played football at Penn, correct? Yeah, I played football at UPenn. What? I mean, obviously, I played college sports, so sports has always been a very large role in my life. But I personally felt like the transition out of college was really difficult to figure out my kind of fitness journey and what that looked like because my entire life I had just been like showing up to practice or showing up to weightlifting or conditioning or whatever. And there was a very clear, like, this is what you're doing. These are the goals. And then obviously hopefully getting results. And I struggled a lot once I graduated because I just felt so overwhelmed and I didn't know what to do. Did you experience that post playing football or were you always kind of doing your own thing in addition to the like, training of your teams. Yeah, I mean, what you hint at is the problem with the education system in general. It's like if you had a good coach, they should have taught you how to properly apply whatever parameters or if you have a good teacher. So that's the difference between education and, 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 and knowledge. So, But for me, I mean, I guess, you know, I've, I've always been around it or understood it, but in college, for sure, it was hard because you trust your strength coaches or whatever. And then you realize that some of them may not know what they're doing and the stuff might not work for you, but they want to put you, peg you into a certain hole just because they're just, you know, at the end of the day, like they're underpaid. They're just trying to do their job, trying to get by. And a lot of them don't actually care about the athletes. Some definitely do. There are some great coaches out there. Uh, I mm-hmm. won't say that mine was when I was at Penn, but uh, going to your thought that was like that taught me to learn. That taught me, you know to take the time to see what else is out there and, and other ways of, of, of training or schools of, of schools of thought, like, you know, cause everything's basically a design system and there's other ways of applying um, that for best results after school though, for me, it wasn't that hard, I guess, because I was also just learn. I, I love to learn. Right. So I, my thing is, is like, I don't know, like the overwhelmed by information thing is like I'm very good at ignoring things that at the time it doesn't matter if it's there. If I'm not going to try it and see if it works or not, then it doesn't matter for me to take it into my head. So but after school, I think and it's what a lot of people get confused about is like being an athlete should have told you that like working out is relatively simple. Like You don't have to overly mm-hmm. complicate it. What's hard after school is everything else. It's assimilating to the real world. It's figuring out how to eat. It's figuring out how to sleep. It's figuring out how to emotionally take care of yourself. It's figuring out how to get a job. It's figuring out how to get friends. Those are the aspects of wellness that are hard. Working out mm-hmm. is not hard. It's not. It's like, and, and you know, it's something, it is not coming from me as somebody that studies it all the time. It's overly complicated because we want things to appear more complicated than they are. So we have an excuse not to do them instead of just simply saying like, all right, it's super simple. I just need to move my body in some capacity that I like for 30 minutes a day or on aggregate average. And then I know that I should probably do some strength-based work. I should probably do some mobility-based work. And, you know, I should probably do some cardio. So it's just like that. And it's just fine things because there's so much, so many things that you could find right now. Now, if somebody is complicated, is, is confused about the other stuff by all means, but we have to reach a point where we need to accept that exercise is not complicated. It is not complicated for health complicated is figuring out all the other things but as an athlete yeah i mean you go out and in, in the, you go out into the world and this shit is hard like just from an emotional state because you don't relate to the same people in the world in the world like if mm-hmm. you play sports your whole life and then you go into the real world post-college the way other people look at the world is totally different in the way you look at the world and it fucks you up and that you don't have the same structure as you once did in college which fucks you up and you see this with people who even retire from pro sports. So now you have to find your way in the world in a way in which you, you deal with a lot of different, basically, mindsets because sports sifts out basically the weak-minded, right? So you even if you're a disgruntled people on your team, people had to put up with, like, the reality of the situations. In the real world, that's not the case, right? Like, nobody's going to cut you, I'm saying, from life. But from sport, people will. So the biggest thing for me post-college was, like, 
dealing with people who are cut from a different cloth. I think yeah, my, I like, the emotional well-being aspect was the hardest thing because you have to, and learning better emotional IQ is the most important thing for me. Fitness was not. That's really just the choice of you having to assimilate into a different lifestyle and, and keeping it as part of your day. Because at the end of the day, sports told you that a schedule was the most important thing. And you stick to the schedule, even if you're not successful or end up starting, you'll still improve your athletic prowess. The hardest thing, though, was the fact that you can't, you can't pick your team post-college to, to the fullest yeah. extent. You can pick your job and stuff like that. But I think it's that aspect that was the hardest thing for me post-school. I have a few things. I mean, I had a really hard time post-graduation. I think a lot of people do, but I totally agree. I think college athletes have a harder adjustment post-school because for me, honestly, it wasn't the graduating that was tough. It was the I'm not playing sports anymore and what does my life look like without competitive sports and so many things. And I'm curious for you because there was a month, our last game, and we had our last game senior year. And then we had exactly a month to the day until college graduation. And that was, I think the most confusing month of my life because I was in the same place, but I didn't have sports and I didn't know what the hell to do. And I was just lost. And I know you went, when did you have to stop playing football? Cause you didn't, did you play all four years? I read that you were injured. No, I played all four years. Oh, you did? Okay, never mind. I just missed the year because of an injury that I had to deal with, I guess then the possibility of not being able to play or play on the same level. So what you dealt with in a month over a course of a month, I dealt with for a year and a half in the middle of that's what I was going to ask. (laughs) Yeah. So I dealt with that, but I also then, you know, football is different because it ends and then you have that last semester before you go out. But for better or for worse, and this is probably why I, I mean, I probably could have been better. I was a good player, but I could have been better, but it was like, my identity wasn't really tied into my sport. And I think that's something my father made sure, my parents made sure my whole life was that like, you got to be bigger than your sport, especially as, you know, a black, like an African-American. It's like, you got to understand the different capacities of what it means to be a full human. Otherwise you're not going to make it in the world. So they were super big with me on, especially intellectual pursuits, me exploring other things and me like fully thinking for myself. So I, 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 I didn't, I only had the dissonance when I had an injury. I didn't really have it after my senior year, even when I knew for sure I wasn't going to be playing. And that maybe that was like some sort of naive mindset where I was just like, I'll figure it out, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, nah, a lot of my peers and friends have definitely gone through that. And yeah, I, I think as an athlete, you then have to realize like, what is it that I'm going to do for the rest of my life? Which is, that's hard. That's what messed Terrifying. me up. And I was like, I don't want to work. I don't, I think it's crazy. I think it's crazy. We're going to, I'm supposed to spend my whole life working. And I still struggle with that to this day and, you know, figuring out. But yeah, it's like that old NCAA commercial. It's like, you know, most people don't go pro or whatever. And they like Mm -hmm. say that like it's a good thing. (laughs) But uh, yeah. Yeah. What did you start doing out of college? Like what was your first job out of school? I worked for this company called Health Warrior. It was, uh, they sold chia bars and chia seeds. They were acquired by yep. PepsiCo probably four or five years, four years ago now. Uh, I was employee probably number six there. And I wish somebody told me about the concept of vesting and stock options early on because I definitely messed that up. Uh, but yeah, that's what I did. It was kind of on a handshake deal with the founder of the company who actually went to Penn. And then I worked there for two years until I kept moving on. But it was good. I mean, I wasn't paid anything. I was probably paid forty thousand dollars a year, and still I'm living out of my parents' house and sleeping on my friend's couch in the city when it was, you know, too late to go home. And I knew I had to do something early the next morning. But it taught me a lot. It definitely taught me a lot. Um, and I was, I'm thank, I was thankful for that job and the opportunities that it gave me and the people that allowed me to meet. Uh, but it definitely told me that I don't want to, I don't want to have, I don't want to have to work under someone. Mm-hmm. Did you go from there? to founding your own company or were there other stops in between? Nah. So the ultracism was founded in college. That was basically like just a strategy, like my self-proclaimed strategy for like athletic improvement and healing my body when dealing with injuries. And I started a blog and I was just talking about this stuff and researching this stuff, which actually helped me land, get the land, the health warrior job. And then, um, when I was at health warrior, basically like Nike just found me cause I was, I was still 
like personal training on the side and part time. And I was at this gym called S10 and Nike came and scouted a class and then they found me for that. And that's where I decided to go full time just because I was I was just fed up with my manager at the health warrior job. Um, and, you know, that was a quick separation. And then I just launched in full time. I didn't I didn't I was I didn't really have. I didn't think about it. I just said, I'm going to do it and figure it out. And, but I also wasn't worried, but I also didn't, I don't know. I just hopped in. Cause I was like, I, I don't know. I was just so, it's not even, I was self-assured. I was just like, so whatever about it. that I was like, I'll figure it out. And I think that's an approach that I've taken to life that's assisted me. Um, but yeah. And then from there, you know, I've just, I like to say I have an entrepreneurship model is that I I have I take a reality of the situation. I say, what is it that I want to do? What's also going to provide me cash flow? What's also going to have the biggest impact? And I think people a lot of times in millennial and Gen Z generation just focus on what it is that I want to do. And that's why a lot of us aren't successful. And we and we think we are, but we're not. And I my, that's always my biggest fear is like it's not necessarily not it's not overachieving, it's underachieving. I don't, I'm not a fan of saying you need to overachieve. It's like at the end of the day, your life is your life. But if you can ever help yourself, never underachieve, never underachieve. And that's how I've always looked at it. It's like, what's, how can I get at least a minimal viable product out of achievement in this situation that I currently am in, especially if I don't know that I'll be there forever. So after anyway, healthware, I went to Nike and uh, that was probably 2015. I signed on for this project that they had at the time called 45 Grand, which is basically like this gym that they opened up and had select trainers come in and basically lead kind of the class programming out of there and media work and influencer work. And this is when class structure was so big. Like everybody thought, you know, the class bubble was never going to burst. And I looked at it and I was like, I could do this and I'm good at this, but also I don't think it has longevity. And two, like as a former athlete, I think it's kind of stupid because I saw the issue of taking a one size fits all approach and also Mm -hmm. wasn't interesting to me. It wasn't really like goal based. It was it was like, I don't know, it was kind of like a minstrel show to me, like going up and performing for a group that comes in very briefly and making them have a good time. And it's like too much like shucking and jiving, you know, and I was uh I was not wanting to do this. So then from there, I realized like I wanted to take more of a like a concierge guided journey approach. And then I wanted to uh, I wanted to basically help people meet their goals. And, and that's where I got a couple big breaks at when I was working for Nike. Basically, I got really I got beloved in the fashion world, essentially. Like I got hooked up with this guy, Derek Blasberg, who, you know, took a liking to me and and. He helped me build my client base. And then from there, I was able to, you know, I I was working with, you know, leaders in fashion, like Aaron Preston. And I was working with him before he got big and he connected me with Virgil Abloh. And then, you know, Ricardo Tishi, Naomi Campbell. I was working with Bella Hadid. And all these were basically for me putting myself out there and like showing up to everything. And I was luckily through friends, they were able to connect me and, and, and and make it happen. So. I've just con- continued to grow it from there, you know, use personal training to kind of expand into more being a thought leader in the overall concept of wellness, including writing for GQ, social impact work, and then just really looking at it as how can I use existing companies to to scale my ideas? Because um, it's a lot less volatile when you get businesses as your as your uh, customers instead of people. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of that is driven by fads in, instead of, you know, the actual business of health and wellness. So it's hard for me to explain to people fully what it is that I do, but basically it's just like I have services and then I have an expertise in terms of education and knowledge. And then I try to scale that accordingly. Um, and it's still, of course, trying to trying to figure it out. But I, I like to say I'm just a little bit of an expert generalist. So I try to use my skill set in as many areas as possible and not and see the world as it is, which is you need economic sustainability to make any sort of difference, not just in your life, but other people's life. And I try to do that in any in many ways as, as possible that I can. I'm curious if we can go back for a second when you said your goal is like, you know, you're not telling everyone they have to overachieve, but to really not underachieve. And I'm a, inherently, I struggle with the need to 
overachieve. I don't know if it's the need or the desire, but I'm very hard on myself. I think a lot of former athletes are as well. What are things that you're doing in your everyday life, if you can think of any, where you're really putting yourself in a place to not underachieve? Uh, there's a few things. Yeah, I mean, definitely as an athlete, you're right, because we are we were held to a higher standard. And if you weren't cut from that cloth, it was like no hard feelings, but you out. And in the real world, right, that's hard, right? It's like it doesn't like you. you, And I've had to realize that from an EQ standpoint, not just in business relationships, but even like personal relationships, romantic relationships. It's like you can't treat people like that because they can't take it. <laughs> You can't just, yeah. you know, it's just like they can't take it. But it's not that anything that you're doing is necessarily wrong. It's just like people, a lot of people just ain't cut from the same cloth. And I'm you know, struggling with that now because yeah. I went from college sports to being in sales and trading, which is very much similar to sports in the sense where it's like fast paced, competitive, automatically like say it how it is, you're cut. If you're fucking up, you're in trouble and you're cut. And so I was there for five years and that almost like made me more of an intense perfectionist overachieving. Like I remember having a conversation with my mom and she was talking and I was like, why are you talking so slow? Like, what are you trying to say? Get your point out. And she's like, you need to learn how to calm down. And so I feel like ever since I've left that job, which is now three and a half years, this transition has been the most intense transition because going from college to that industry was kind of similar in a sports mentality. Yeah. But the difficulty with like sales and training, trading is basically like, (laughs) it's not that you, and if you have a good coach, right, they're hard on you, but they're trying to cultivate some sort of inner value that you have to achieve on the sports field. Yeah, I didn't have a good coach in <laughs> either of these worlds. <laughs> in sales and trading, they're trying to do that so you make more money, which is right. fucked up, you know? So the thing is, and in the real world, what I think is still important is like you still have to have an EQ, right? It's like you don't, you still have to figure out how to relate to other people because if other people aren't that the same. Um, but this thought process of, uh, how do you find essentially like peace of mind so that you're still achieving, but you're not overworking? And it's been a journey for me. I mean, I've definitely been on the verge of burnout and I recognized that at like 27 and I had to take a step back. And then I think I've constantly been on the search of what I say is like, what's your what's your code? Like define what life means to you. That's the first thing It's like you need to have introspection. You need to take time to define what it is that life actually means to you and what it is that you want. That's first and foremost, because if you don't have a grounding point, then it doesn't it doesn't matter. Right. You, you, you don't know if you're underachieving or overachieving because you don't know where you're trying to go. It doesn't have to be super rigid, but you need to have some frame of reference. And then on the day to day, it's I think it's uh, it's really taking a it's taking a step back and decompressing. It's like being honest with yourself. How am I actually feeling? What did I actually achieve today? What is it that needed to be achieved today, whether it's for my work or whether it is for myself? And am I working towards those goals in a way that's manageable, but also at the same time not overwhelming? So it's like move an inch at a time just quickly. And with this under with this thing of never underachieving, it's you also just have to be honest with yourself. It's like, am I doing what's actually necessary for me to move forward? So I like to say it's about inertia. It's about setting up environments that help you overcome inertia without willpower. And I think that's where the hardest work comes because you'll never underachieve if you put yourself in a proper environment just to make you self able to flow. But a lot of people work hard and still underachieve because they haven't set up their personal environments for the best success, like what they can control. I'm not talking about all the other stuff. Like we didn't consent to existence. This is something that I always say. You, we were just born here. And then we come overwhelmed because we try to control these worlds that are so outside of our control. And for me personally, it's let me control what I can control and also be honest with myself about what I want out of this life. And that's the actually that you bring up a good point. That was the hardest thing for me out of college was the fact that I felt so out of place because I had these goals for my life that other people don't don't have the same view on. I didn't really find my tribe. I'm not marching to the same drum as these other people. And that's was the biggest confusing thing to me. Right. Not the cutthroat mentality, but the fact that I like to learn. I don't think work's the most important thing in life. I like to I, I just want to I want to work for a purpose, not for necessarily funds. And I, but I also want to be on this journey of self-discovery. And 
and and that's all, and that's different. And you have to essentially mm-hmm. find your tribe. But to get out of the mindset, I think of the productivity culture of the constant desire to want to overachieve. It's you have to basically create your own sovereign state. It's like, what does it mean to be, you know, what does it mean to be you? What is what, you know, and then and then it's easier to operate in the world. But too many of us don't know what it what it means to be ourselves. And you don't have to fully know that at this time. But the more you're able to do that, then the more you can actually then set some sort of roadmap that will help you get to where you need to be. Block out naysayers when it's necessary. Listen to criticism when it's necessary. Know when to pivot. But too many of us just have no personal navigation system because we're we're being pulled in so many different directions without even understanding like what it means to be yourself first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, my husband and I have these conversations all the time of like, what is actually important to us? What do we want our future to look like based on our desires and what we want, not based on like what we have been told we should be doing or what we should want by society. And you seem like a very reflective person, which I love. Do you have specific reflective practices? Are you a like routine person? Like for me, I meditate. I'm a big journaler. Like those are two things that really help ground me and keep me introspective rather than taking in everything from others. And I always love hearing others, people's practices. Yeah. I mean, I probably should journal. I've been saying myself for years, I'll do it, but it's just like, I don't ever really know where to put it. I guess I could just buy a journal, write it on the computer, but I'm, I spend a lot of time in my mind, I guess. In the beginning of the day, I just run through what it is that I need to do mentally, mm-hmm. how it is that I'm feeling. I check in with myself. Like I don't get out of bed immediately. I just like sit in bed for a second and take like 10 minutes just with like my eyes closed just to think about and breathe. That's how the day is going to go. And then you know, I try to move my body a little bit. And, and and I just, I basically through the day is just I check in with myself. The best, all right, so the best two things that work for me to get things moving is either in my notes or if I'm home, I put post-it notes on the wall and I just ignore everything. And I'm saying, all right, this is what I need to do for the next two hours. Check it off. This is what, these are, this is the important things that I need to do today. This is the urgent things that I need to do today. And this is what I need to think about. And I break it up into those three categories. I try to get it done. And at the end of the day, uh, and basically the urgent things are, it could be two things. It's what is the thing that's going to get you paid now or what are the things that are immediately need to be taken care of just so you could have some, your you could your heart could stop beating so fast. And important mm-hmm. things are either what are the things for your personal self-care or what are the things that down the line are going to make sure you maintain your success. And then the thinking, because it's so inefficient, which is like, that's what people forget about thinking. When you work in a creative space, it's actually very inefficient, but you have to set aside time for it. And then that's the time you just, you have to set aside time just to think. It's like, just, I I can't explain it, but basically when I set aside time to think away from things, the ideas come to me. I don't know if it's my subconscious doing, it's just something hits, whatever, the muses hit. And then at the end of the day, basically what I do is instead of getting on my phone or, you know, trying to get into trouble or whatever, it's, I just run through the day. It's like, what did I do? Just to remember like life experiences too. It's like, all right, what did I do today? What did I miss out on? Why didn't that work? And, you know, let me get my, let me like download my brain so I can mentally prepare for what it is that I need to do tomorrow. And I just think capstoning your day is super important. It's like, I've learned how to win the morning. Now I'm like learning how to win the evening. So I have, you know, better sleep and, and, and things like that. And I think if you basically set aside, you know, 30 minutes to win the morning and win the evening, life comes a bit better. I am big on that as well. I definitely have my morning routine, which has like completely changed ever since having a kid. But honestly, like for me, it's so important to have that time to do just a few things for myself to start the day off. And something I want to work on is having a nighttime routine because for me, sleep is so freaking important and my nights are kind of all over the place sometimes. Um, I just had a train of thought based on what you said and now I completely lost it. Hold on. There was something I really wanted to touch base on. Oh, I think what you said about creators needing time to actually just think is so important and something I'm working on right now because I think it's so easy, no matter what space you're in, but especially if you're an entrepreneur and you're working for yourself, like there's always something you can be doing. 
there, there is yeah. always something you can be doing. And it's really easy to just react and do all day long and never sit back and actually have time to think and reflect and create. And I hit a pretty bad stage of burnout recently where I decided I needed to step away and take a break. And it was mixed with a bunch of postpartum stuff going on. And for me, that time away and not being on react mode all the time was so beneficial for my creativity and my ability to just reflect and think and come up with ideas. And I say this all the time, but I really enjoy marijuana. And I, at night when I'm like, going to sleep or when I'm just hanging out after taking an edible or something like that is when I honestly think of majority of my work stuff because my brain is like relaxed a bit. I'm not busy doing other things and I'm able to be creative and imaginative and actually just like spend time with myself rather than consuming things 24 seven, because unfortunately that's how majority of our days are spent. Yeah, I mean, I, I, idle time is uh, not idle time. It can just allow the brain to breathe sometimes. And a lot of times our idle time is actually spent doing something, which my thing is this, and that's why I believe in whatever strategic laziness. One of the things my dad would always harp on, and I, I would come home and I'd be tired and I'd, he'd be like, go lay down. And then he'd like come in and check on me, but he'd be like, get off your phone. Like if you're going to rest, rest. You know what I'm saying? Right. And Whatever space that you're in, it's just like, you know, Mark Newsom has a Newsom has a uh, the designer has a very interesting quote where he's like the inefficiency of coagitation, which is basically the inefficiency of taking time to take a step aside and think, and not knowing what the benefits will be. But as someone, you know, if you are an, an entrepreneur, like that's extremely necessary to be able to do that because, and just for my own personal story is like, and I've made this decision over the past year or two is I'm turning down a lot of things. I'm turning down a lot because I've worked so hard the past eight years to get me some sort of economic viability where I could take a break and say, I actually don't need to do this work. But I've been that, I'm also, I fall fell into the trap of procrast, pro, pro, uh, product, productive procrastination, which is basically I would take on projects to get paid to feel like I was doing something when I was actually running from the most important work. So for the next, you know, 18 to 24 months, I'm really just focusing on the important work to the most of my ability, except for, you know, a few key contracts that I have on board. So with all that being said, it's like you have to make a decision. Like if you are if you are going to work for yourself, you also have to set aside that time for like those creative brainstorms, which are basically like a company offsite of one or two or three or however big your team is. So I think it's very important. Otherwise, you fall into the trap of just task-based work that makes you feel like you're achieving, but is it actually pushing you towards that ultimate freedom or that ultimate goal that you that you want? Whether that freedom be economic freedom, whether that freedom be creative freedom, whether that, whatever. But you you just if you just always task-based work is just like. You, you tricked yourself into thinking you escaped the cave at a hamster wheel when really all you did was build your own hamster wheel and force yourself on it. That right there is how my past four months have been, 100%. <laughs> like I've, you know, honestly, I feel like I left the industry that was so intense and so demanding and so not what I wanted. And then I almost created that industry for myself. And I've, I tricked myself into thinking I didn't and it all kind of like came to its head recently because when you throw a baby into the mix, you can't do it all. And then I realized like, what in the hell am I freaking doing? And I'm curious, what are the important things that you're focusing on for the next 18 to 24 months that you mentioned? Uh, a few things. I mean, it's just building my own infrastructure for me to do the things that I want instead of it's like, and this is something that I, I realized, you know, early on with the fact that, you know, I saw this, and this is why I started writing for GQ, is like I was getting interviewed by everybody, but everybody's getting paid off my words. So mm -hmm. let me figure out a way to write to actually utilize for my best results. But my thing is, like, I just want to, I'm focused on building an infrastructure that allows my community to participate in a way with me that makes sense and allows them to meet their health goals. So whether it has to do with continuing to build out exercise snacks, whether it has to do with continuing to build out the things, you know, in a Joe Holder world that will make a little bit more sense. Um, you know, I think I know I know everybody thinks this crypto world is like dumb and, you know, the, the Zuckerberg and his entrance in the metaverse. 
what people need to realize is what is happening right now is a, and it's happening in every area of life is a decentralization so that people have more autonomy over themselves. You saw it in streetwear, which people don't want to admit to, which is basically streetwear was that these cultural mavens took hold of the fashion industry, created their basically coins, whether it be off-white, whether it be Elites, whether it be Hair and Preston, whether it be Fair of God. All of those things were, were essentially low-cap coins that caught basically a market sentiment and took off. And then what happened? They then got reintroduced into a centralized structure and then these bigger banks, or in this case, bigger fashion houses, brought them back in to then utilize the community that they built for best results. I say all this to say is that I'm very, I, and I've thought this for a bit, is that I just want to create a sovereign state for my people, not to then take it to sell them back to something bigger, but the fact that create a sovereign state that allows people to participate in the community that they find value in, even if other people don't. And I think that's something that everybody in the creative world or in their life needs to take into account. Stop making the people that you stop trying to impress people that don't care. Don't make people that don't care about you care about you. Make the people that care about you be impressed about you and tell their friends who will listen to them and maybe not listen to you. So that's really what I'm focused on is the fact that I've had people support me. So I'm no longer worried about trying to keep up with the Joneses or things of that nature. I have set up structures for me, hopefully, to continue to be economically successful. So I'm not trying to mine my community for data or for money or anything like that. I essentially just want to create a place for them to be able to participate accordingly and to meet health goals. So that was the main thing. And as you know, I worked did this community center kind of pop up with Dyson, and, and that was kind of an on-the-ground example of that. But that's really all I'm interested in for the next 18 to 24 months is, like, how do I – continue to make, you know, information and knowledge easily accessible, but how do I basically streamline and create an infrastructure where there is a centralized, essentially Joe Holder that's decentralized from, you know, all these, I think, other bigger players in in the industry. Yeah. I mean, I think community is such a massive and important role in this space as a creator or influencer, entrepreneur, whatever you want to call it, you know, the community is the reason why anyone has a platform to do anything and really leaning into that and tapping into that. And I mean, that's the main reason I still do this work is for the community. And I'm so appreciative of what I call the Freckled Foodie family and their support, but also just their ability and willingness to show up for each other when like push comes to shove. And especially this like mom's community that I've started. It's, it's really remarkable. Um, you mentioned exercise snacks and I've read a little bit about this and I love the concept for people who are not familiar. Can you kind of just walk us through what exercise snacks are or what that actually means? Yeah. I mean, so exercise snacks is this, is this concept I stumbled upon, I think 2000. 14, which is basically they took diabetes patients and they saw about their ability to control blood sugar if they broke up a 30 or 40 minute workout instead of having it into one segment, they broke it up into like 15 or 20 minute segments twice a day. So this concept of intermittent movement that for health, perhaps and for the normal person, perhaps we need to think about two things, what's called NEAT, which is non-exercise activity thermogenesis, basically your movement outside of formalized exercise. And then secondly, is it more important to have uh, more frequency of movement instead of just simply volume? So frequency being more times per day instead of volume, which is absolute time or just putting it into one segmented chunk. So exercise snacks was always in the back of my mind. And then the pandemic hit and one of my clients, Naomi Campbell, who's on the road, but like wanted to work out every day. And I was like, I have to figure out a way to like put this somewhere, but at the same time, like help people understand this concept of why it's important, even though she would, because basically when I be in the gym with Naomi, a lot of people don't realize a lot of people only see things in one, in, in a very shallow perspective. So sometimes depending upon how Naomi was feeling, it could be a super hard workout or it could be super easy. And sometimes if you just, it's Naomi Campbell, she's fucking Naomi Campbell. She's like one of the greatest mm-hmm. of all time, right? So if somebody comes, and she's beautiful. So if, some, if somebody comes in the gym and she's going through an easy workout, they're confused. Or sometimes people make jokes like, oh, Naomi didn't even do anything today. And I'm like, yo, you don't get it. Like, first, like, first off, you don't, you don't fully understand. It's, and so Exercise Snacks was also born out of my work with her, which is basically, it's longitudinal and consistent activity that promotes health instead of it having to be overwhelming. 
So if you really per day just wanted to do a workout that's 20 minutes or less or do that a couple times a day, that's super simple. Something can be more mobility based or low intensity. Something could be, you know, essentially hit, but it doesn't have to be long. This promotes health. And then you could put all that that energy into other areas of your life that are actually more important, whether that's time with family, whether that's your diet, whether that's sleep, whether that's reading, you know, intellectual pursuits, but also helping people realize, which the fitness industry wasn't really talking about, um, is that there's a difference between exercise for health versus exercise for fitness and performance. If I want to improve health, like after this call, I could just get up and do 20 seconds of quick high knees, and that'll help improve my health, right? My underlying metabolic health. Now, will it necessarily improve my performance? Probably not. Fitness? Probably not. But then when I want to work out specifically for those causes, it becomes easier to do so because my underlying health is still decent. So exercise snacks is is basically now, you know, it's just a community that's born out of making movement a movement and an open source library and, and some products that just make it super simple to integrate movement into your daily activity, daily life. So you feel good instead of it being overwhelming and being about aesthetics or sweat or being in a puddle of sweat and stuff like that. So it's just bringing like, I think the literacy and proficiency back to what it means to just move as a human and and not think of exercise as something that's has to be like so overwhelming. Um, And it's been cool to see people have responded well to it. Like to call them the snack squad. Um, But it's fun. (laughs) I mean, I think it's a great idea because I think the wellness industry booming is great for some reasons, but then also I think it pushes this concept onto the consumers that every workout has to be X, Y, Z. It has to be this length. It has to be this intense. There are this many options. If you're not doing this, then you're doing it wrong. And I think for me, movement has always been something I really enjoy and I want to do. It's never a punishment. I'm never like, oh, I have to exercise. It's like, I'm so excited to get to exercise and to move and to have fun. And I think for people who are maybe intimidated by movement, this is a great doorway into the space to kind of just like do a few small things every once in a while. Because I mean, obviously, I don't know the scientific and all of the information background like you do, but clearly I think it does make a difference. No, any movement is better than no movement. Yeah. I don't think we need to over, we don't need to overcomplicate it. It's just like, uh, it's again, it's human behavior. How do you, how do you reduce attrition? It's like, you know, and even for my master class, I saw this is that there's such a disconnect between how people think you reduce attrition and how it actually happens. So for my masterclass, actually, at first when we were developing it and I had to fight for it, they didn't want to include workouts in the class. And I was like, that's I'm going to sit here and talk to people about working out, but you don't want to have any sort of workouts. It's like trying to tell people to ride a bike, but not giving them access to a bike. And so it's like it's very interesting that people don't look at basically reducing both attrition rates and, again, reducing inertia. So I could tell you, it's like, yeah, sometimes you got to work out hard, but how about we just start with this five to 10 minute little circuit that then allows you to graduate. You can't teach somebody calculus in first grade, but people don't look at wellness as a school when that's actually what it is, is that so many, because there is such a low level of literacy in this country about basic health topics. And then people get lost in all the other bigger things. Like, I look at it like this. I want to be your favorite high school teacher. I'm not going to come on here and and talk to you about why legumes or beans might be good for you lowering your LDL or improving your LDL or things like that. I'm like, what the fuck does it actually mean? Like at the end of the day, who cares? Like who cares? I I want to go come on here and talk to you difference about CBD or CBN, how that's different from THC. Like you can find people to go do that if you really want to. Fine. But there's a couple of things that we always see when you get into nitty gritty of science, when you think something is the truth, it ends up not being true 10 to 20 years later. You look at mm-hmm. look at the plum pudding model in, in physics, you look at whatever Lamarck and his theory about giraffe's neck and why, the, you know, that's getting replaced, that got replaced by Darwin's theory. Or you look at basic or you look at leptin and how everybody thought leptin and, and the hormone singling for fat was going to be the next big breakthrough. And now nobody really knows if it makes sense at all. So I don't really want to get lost in that. My thing is, like, let's look at the basics that always work. If you want to go deeper, we will get you there. But at the same time, you just have to start. And that's the thing. You got to convince people to start. And, you know, 
you got to hold people accountable, but you also have to help people realize like a lot of the inertia that's present in the environment is not their fault. So let's make it as simple as possible. But if I make it as simple as possible and you still don't do it, I have no sympathy for you. You don't got to do it with me. Go with somebody else to do it. I don't care. But if it's as simple as possible, and you still don't do it, especially if you're not you're not poor, you're not low income, you're not struggling. You just choose not to do it and say, well, is me. I have no sympathy. And that's the issue with the middle class. That's why the U.S. hasn't fixed itself. Because the middle class who have free time and free funds still find excuses. And that's one way that I don't think you should live your life. And exercise snacks is a way for you to take agency over yourself. And if you choose not to, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, that's on them then. What is your current like mindset or relationship with food and how that plays into your wellness journey? I've always had an, an I've, I experiment with food because I think it's very interesting, but I, I never have a very like isolationist approach to food. I'm an intuitive eater. Like I personally don't, I don't eat meat, but it's like, you know, I'm definitely just basically do plant-based eating. I focus on the hydration, minimally processed foods, but I like, but I also have a sweet tooth. So if I like want to enjoy a dessert, I will, Same. but I, like, I don't have, like, I'm lucky to have, uh, you know, decent genes and have an intuitive relationship with food where I understand its purpose. And I also like the like cultural aspect of it. It's like eating with other people, cooking, stuff like that. So I'm not super restrictive. And a lot of people often, you know, think I am, uh, but I'm not, I just have a few key rules that I follow and, and I let the rest kind of morph around that which is basically limit don't eat too late don't eat too early upon waking make focus on hydration and digestion understand which foods work for you stick with minimally processed foods get fruits and vegetables in your diet relatively try to unless you're active relatively try to be low net carb and and don't just eat empty grains or just isolated carbohydrates for for no reason in the form of greens or breads or pastas chew your food, enjoy and enjoy it. And it's just like, I don't think it's got it. And then you could get more specific than that, right? It's like, all right, which oils should I actually use? Should I use butter? Should I use like, then you get there. It's like, then you can start worrying about should I add, should I add trace minerals to my water or stuff like that. But I think you worry about the key 90 to 95% first. And then, you know, and then build accordingly. I think that's, I mean, that's definitely my mindset as well. And I think that's my one holds back with the wellness industry over the past few years is that it really tries to overcomplicate things. And I think so many consumers are confused because they're being told so many different things and that they need X, Y, Z and every single meal and all these different products. And I think really just focusing on the basics And the fact that every single person is different, something might work for you, it might not work for the next person. That's where I found this new comfort, I guess, with wellness, all encompassing, whether it comes to relationships or my relationship with food or exercise or my partner or friends, like doing what feels right and focusing on the basics rather than getting overwhelmed by all the information being thrown at you, which is honestly kind of what we talked about in the beginning. So we just came very full circle. Yeah. I mean, I think people have to take ownership and, and, and not just do what feels right, but like learn what actually is right. Right. Because if you've been eating poorly your whole life or haven't been eating that well, and you start to actually eat a little bit better, you're not going to feel right at first. So like your intuition is off essentially. So there is a period of time where like there will be things that don't feel correct that actually are correct. Like that's the learning curve in anything, whether that be in sport, whether that be in life, whether that be in food. So people have to first also have, again, have a base knowledge set that's like that helps people go through this process accordingly and not and not and not get confused. Um, but overall, for the most part, I do. I do agree with you. I think it's just like you have to block out the noise. But. That's a process basically called like subception. I don't know if a lot of people have that skill because we're just constantly consuming. So how do you know what to block out if you're just always, always in the shit and not actually paying attention to what your body is, is telling you? Um, I'm having a hard time with that right now. Yeah. Blocking out the noise. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I've gotten, I mean, I've gotten better at it, but it's also me, you know, sometimes you need to take in the noise to just keep in touch with everything. But a part of me is just like, you know, I feel like I'm the old, old like, uh, what was the other, like, secret uh, sect in Jesus time called, like, the Essenes who just, like, I don't know. So basically, <laughs> there's three, I went to a Jesuit high school, that's why I noticed, but there's just basically three key, there's the Pharisees, the Sadducees, maybe, but then there are the Essenes, who some believe taught Jesus like all the special shit. But they basically created like an isolated community out and were just like, fuck it. Like, we just going to chill and do what we want to do. So that's kind of what I just do with myself sometimes. I'm like, I'm in Mexico chilling. I'm just like, sometimes I just create my own little separate world. And I'm like, all right, what is it that actually matters to me or whatever? It's like, how do I? I think sometimes you just have to block out, block everything out. And... Mm-hmm. um it's hard, but yeah, I think you learn basically to bring it back to the actual point. The easiest thing to do is learn, apply, assess, keep doing that. Learn, apply, assess the information that works, put it into your framework. And that's now your knowledge. The information that doesn't personally work for you, throw it out. But if it works in your mental model of how, of how one could see the world, put it in there. But then you you have to understand what works for you, what might work for other people, and what makes absolutely no sense and is just adding to the noise in your world. And I think once you have those that ability of sifting, um, life becomes easy a lot easier. But you critical thinking is a skill, and you have to work mm-hmm. on it. Yeah, you do. For everyone who's listening and wants more of you and your content and your thoughts, where is the best place for them to follow? Uh, yeah, follow me on Instagram at Ocho System. I, I could probably get into a little bit more nitty gritty there with some of the scientific information. Um, just for exercise, it's at exercise underscore snacks. And then just if like you're just really into, I think, more just like the reading and the theoretical processes, that's what my Twitter is probably best for. And that's just at Joe uh, Holder underscore. So, yeah, I like to say like I basically have like created an ESPN of a bunch of different networks. So on each channel, you have one network but different channels. So each channel you can't be showing the same program the whole time. So so I set it up. That's actually very smart. I've thought and I follow you on Twitter. I really enjoy your Twitter. I never tweet, but I have one to consume. And I once thought of someone told me to think of my Instagram page as a TV channel, and it's like, okay, well, what programming can people know that they're getting on certain days? And I used to be way better about this. Now I do a few things, but you know, for me right now, it's like every Friday they know they're getting a podcast, so it's podcast related content. And then Sundays, it's like things that made me smile, and it's just random photos from the week that I didn't post, but that I just small things. Usually, it's like my son's feet or a sunrise or something (laughs) silly. Um, just small snippets that actually made me smile throughout the week. And I used to have other things for other days and Wednesday was a vlog and all that stuff. And I really appreciated that mindset, but I really like what you just said of thinking of your different platforms as different channels, because it's so true when you, for instance, if I do something on TikTok and it like blows up somehow and I put it on Instagram, it's not the same consumer. It's not the same mindset as a consumer. It's not the same eyes and it does not perform equally. Like they're not the same. And it is smart to think of each platform as actually a different type of channel. So thank you for that. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) at this point, I don't even think, I mean, I think I used to be more concerned about that. I don't even really care how things perform. It's just like, what is my, the audience, I guess, interested in, or what is it I want to talk about here? Mm -hmm. Um, but I think I, I have a, I have, there's a bit of luxury now, I guess, that I don't have to worry about just complete performance all the time. But it's just like, I don't know. I just want to be, I, I think you probably can relate to this. Sometimes it's so overwhelming. It's like, I don't want to be thinking about why I need a pose for it to perform well Too type much. of shit. I'm like, I just want to talk my shit sometimes. And it's like, I think this yeah. is funny. I think this is interesting. I think people should know about this. Of course, every channel has its like distinct tone and flavor. And of course, you want to make sure you're not just going off the rails or anything. But I don't know, like social media now has just become such a performative thing that I'm just like, I'm just kind of tired of it. So I I totally agree. And for my listeners who are listening to this, they know this, but I treat social media as I mean, my Instagram stories are literally an extension of my therapy sessions. Like there's no performative action on there. It's just me. There's never a filter on my stories or my photos. And it's very just blunt of how I'm feeling or what I'm doing or something I'm struggling with. Um, 
And I feel so safe on Instagram because I've created a community that enjoys that and that receives that well. And that's, it allows me to do whatever I want on there. And I'm so grateful for it. It's the other platforms, whether they be new or whatever, that can be intimidating sometimes because it's like, well, I haven't figured out exactly what voice I want to be on this platform. I haven't figured out, I haven't found my community. I haven't figured out what works. And it's that like a new stage that I think is difficult in this space. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like as an adult, it's like hard to make friends and you're now you're like referring to a different school and you're like, who who are my friends here? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Absolutely. And then when you have friends and then friends go through different stages and it's like, well, wait, now you're doing this and I'm not doing that at all, or I'm doing this and you're not doing it. And then it's like a whole new transition of finding friends, you know, like I just had a kid and it's so confusing for the rest of my life. Honestly, it's like really put everything under not a microscope, but it's like, okay, well, what does this mean now? And who am I in all these different fields of my life? Who am I other than a mom? And what does that look like in relationships? And it's a lot. Yeah. I mean, I look at life as a transition between the basically stages of becoming. So a lot of people say it's like, oh, you have so much life left. But I'm like, well, hopefully yes, but also no, because this moment and stage of my life is so distinct that there it will end. Right. So it's like. Totally. You know, so that's what I think becomes hard. It's like, I don't see. I don't know. It's not that each person is different, but I don't see each. It's basically like Spider-Man, right? Like there's a whole bunch of different Spider-Mans, apparently. I've never even seen any of these movies, but there's a whole bunch of different Spider-Man, apparently, in like that universe. And it's like each stage in your life, each, hopefully you have a core value system, but each, I think, apparition or appearance of that value system, depending upon the stage of your life, might be a little bit different and, and it becomes hard to continue to grow in but it's still an important process of what it means to be human. And I don't think that's really talked about enough, especially with men, especially in 2021 going into 2022. It's like, shit is hard. Like, and it's, it's, and I mm-hmm. think that's what you see, especially with athletes who are taking a step back a little bit now more for more mental health reasons. But I look at it the other way, which I think is just as sad is the fact that, we're not cultivated, and it's not like, oh, you should be so, so tough-minded, but for whatever reason, it seems, in both the real world and the sports world, we, we don't seem to be cultivating people who could actually both, we're not protecting and also creating resilience, it seems, with our mindsets. And it's like, why is that? It's like, what is going on? Like, why, why does it seem that our mental fortitude in so many areas is diminishing? And it's not something that I think we always need to be open one of my friends, Liz Plank, talks about this, especially from a masculine standpoint. I love her book. I think we need to be emotion and vulner- and emotional and vulnerable and things like that. But you also have to learn how to how to bounce back and, and push things off or go through those periods in which you make things harder for yourself so that when troubles come, you know how to respond. And for whatever reason, and I see this in the sports world, too, we're focused too much on recovery and not just resilience. Recovery doesn't work in fitness unless you push yourself hard to the brink. And recovery also doesn't work with your mental state in the real world unless you also prep yourself through that, you know, that resilience phase or that general preparation phase to push yourself to do hard things. And we're seeking too much recovery without taking a look at what our habits are and what we need to do and push ourselves to the brink to basically do hard things in a safe space so that when hard things occur in the world that we can't control, we still can perform and bounce back accordingly. And I'm not saying we become too soft or whatever, but we need to have honest conversations about what we are doing in our private time that actually elevates our ability to deal with the hardships of existence because it's only going to get harder. And if you have Mm -hmm. to constantly pull back and run away and have this need for recovery, we are not going to improve the world, let alone ourselves. And that's an honest conversation we need to start having. I agree. And I think what you said is our issue. There aren't enough places that people view as safe spaces to work on this on in their own world. So then when it happens, especially when you talk about men, and I read Les Plank's book and I absolutely loved it, but especially when you talk about men and mental health and 
there's not enough space for men to be vulnerable, in my opinion. And then, not, not that they're the ones retreating necessarily, but if you look at the athletes, for instance, I don't think anyone has done a good enough job at protecting their mental health when you look at the like top, top, like Simone Biles. And then they hit a point where they can't do anything and they do, they need that time to recover. The whole Biles case is crazy because one, the thing is she pushed herself to the edge. She didn't just step back when it got harder, right? No, she was she assaulted by Larry Dr. Nasir or whatever. Right. He's been saying since 2014 maybe or 2016. No, one can, no one's listening. She was pushing herself. The issue becomes so that issue becomes then when she needed to recover, nobody on our her team did what was necessary to listen to her words. But Agreed. people are taking this very isolated look at what she is doing and saying, "Oh yeah, for sure, like do what you is that you need to do. Always step back, do this, do that." No, she reached a breaking point where she was not protected, but did so many hard things that you can never even fathom up. So before you say, I can do what Simone Biles did, look at what she did to get to that point and right. go through hard things, not to the same level that she did. I don't want anybody to get assaulted or whatever, because that was absolutely insane. And, you know, he should have got harsher penalty. But I want people to say, I am going to do hard things to prepare myself. That's what fitness is. That's what really like meditation is. Is I'm preparing myself to do hard things in my space that I have created instead of always expecting that other people in the world are going to create safe spaces for me. And then when I'm out in the world and I need to be an agent for those people who do not have both the time and the energy or the resources to apply a situation of doing hard things to get better, I can be able to work through this muck and take on more also for other people, but also for myself. So taking a full circle so I don't underachieve. And there's this thought process that people are shying away from doing hard things, not because the world is too hard, but because they are afraid of in their private time doing what is necessary to have them deal with the hardships of the world. And it's unfortunate. And that's the thing that's getting lost in the sauce because we take such an isolated approach to the endpoints instead of what actually occurred on that longitudinal journey, whether it's Simone Biles, whether it's Naomi Osaka. But if you even look back, if you look at male athletes who have been, who just haven't gotten the same, uh, who haven't gotten the same microphone in the same way, whether it be Michael Phelps, whether it be uh, Paul Pierce, what he talked about when he went through his stabbings, whether it be uh, NFL players who have started uh, Kevin Love in the NBA, they got to this breaking point after they tried to do so many things that essentially prepared them and they were let down, but they fucking didn't just not underachieve. They overachieved. Right. So we're not even asking you to overachieve. We're just asking you not to underachieve. And that's, that's the thing that's getting lost in the discussions about mental health and mental fortitude and these things is the fact that yes, these athletes or individuals who have gone through so many hard things weren't then protected but you cannot ask for protection until you decide to protect or create resilience for yourself. And I think that's exceedingly important because otherwise we're just going to create this runaround where no, nobody is getting better. No conversations are able to be had, but we also aren't holding ourselves accountable. And, you know, I think that's important. I think it's very important. And I so appreciate this second subject we just went into because it's a huge part of my platform. I talk about mental health a ton. I've struggled with anxiety and depression and especially in postpartum. And I think making, doing hard things to make your mental health a priority is really important. And I don't think enough people are doing that. And, you know, I can take, for example, what I'm, what I've found to work for me is like, do I want to get up an hour before our son wakes up, especially when I'm like parenting all day and I'm tired? No, I don't fucking want to do that. But if I get up and I give myself time to meditate and to sit with myself and to journal and I like listen to a song and dance because I just need to start the day on a happy note, like that makes me a completely different person. And yes, yeah. that hour of sleep would be nice, but like I need that hour of my time 
to then be the best version of myself, to then be the best mother I can be. And like, it's not easy getting out of bed at 6am every day, but I have to fucking do it because I want to protect my mental health. And like, I mean, therapy is hard admitting, you know, when I hit rock bottom, admitting that I was depressed was hard. Admitting all these things was hard. Working out is hard. Running your own business is hard. And when people even come sometimes will say things to me that are like, oh, you're just blessed. You, you have these genes, whatever. I'm like, yes. But also there is a level of if you take out the things that I do and apply them to yourself, they will work, but they take effort. And this is not mm-hmm. a thing, again, that is not meant to be patronizing or paternalistic. Because I, I also act as an agent for people who I understand don't have either access or time, whether it's me trying to take funds from the companies I work with and putting that back in the community. But for better or for worse, again, it's talking to the people that actually do and just don't want to admit that, OK, maybe I just do need to work a little bit harder. And then you critique everything else. Right. Critique everything else after that. But at the end of the day, as you admit to, is like you had to make a decision, right? You had to say, I'm not going to run from this. I'm going to be open that marijuana works for me. I'm going to be open on postpartum. I'm going to be open. I'm going to take a step back. But people don't realize like being open is fucking hard. And then you have to say to yourself on certain days, all right, I'm going to get up 30 minutes earlier because I know I need to do this, even if it feels awful. People act like, and this is what I'm open about too. You think I always want to work out? No. You think I always want to hop on a call or something? No. You think I want to always hop on a plane to go to do this work? No. And it's not even to sound spoiled, but take it a step back. You know, when I'm out of school working at Health War, you think I just want to make thirty-five or $40,000 a year, wake up at 6 a.m., show up to a Whole Foods at 7.30 to cut up Chia bars, the fee to the customers that are going in so this so this company can stay alive? You think I wanted to do that? You think I want to pack tables and show up to a food expo and, t- and talk to people for hours to do these things? And then you still think I want to get be able to go on a run? You think I want to sit and research therapists that might help me feel a little bit better? You think, I, you know, so it's like everybody just acts like there is no journey to this and that the journey of life is supposed to be easy, that the journey of life is supposed to all be about joy, that the journey of life is supposed to be this secret that helps you tap into something that's so special and all your dreams will come true. No, this shit is hard. There are people in power who perhaps shouldn't be. There are people who are consented to an existence that make things difficult, whether you are a woman, whether you're a black man, whether you're a, it depends on where you live, whether you're short, whether you're not as attractive, whatever. There's some shit that's hard. So make a choice. First thing is make a choice. Second thing is control what you can control. And then third thing is recover when you've earned the right to. And yeah, I don't know how we got here, but I appreciate this conversation. <laughs> I think it's important for people to hear. So it's like, you know, keep sharing your journey. But at the same time, be honest with people. Yeah, I think it's really important. I think in today's world of social media, and we touched on this, but all can seem fake. And also, it's really easy to see someone's end journey and be like, oh, well, they just got there. Like, it just happened. And forget about all of the fucking work that went into that. And life is not easy for really anyone. And I think making sure that you're putting in the work, you're making the choices, you're doing the hard things to be able to take a step back when you need to. You know, I mean... I sometimes, one of my best strengths is that I'm a hard worker and it's one of my, not, I don't know, weakness, but sometimes I push myself too hard. And sometimes I have to remind myself that shit has to be hard sometimes and you have to do it. And then other times it's like, you know what, this should be easier. Let's take a step back and assessing every situation. Um, Thank you so much for being on here. I really appreciate our conversation. All of your information will be in the show notes so you guys can be sure to check him out. And I am excited to keep following you along because I really love what you're doing. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you guys so much for listening to the show. I love doing this more than anything in the world. If you could be so kind as to rate and or review the show, share a screenshot on your Instagram story, whatever you feel like doing to show some love, I would really appreciate it. Obviously follow at Pod on Instagram and me at Freckled Foodie for more content. Thank you for being a part of the FF fam and I hope you have a wonderful day.